0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. The other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. And I'm here today with Evan Anderson, who is, uh, in addition to being my brother, uh, a senior analyst with Future in Review. Our dinner conversations are indeed entertaining, as you might, as you might guess, um, with a whole family working in a media company focused on the future of technology and the global economy. Um, But Evan's specialty is specifically lies with um, fighting nation-state-sponsored intellectual property theft. Um, He is an expert on the Chinese Communist Party and the CEO of Invent IP, which is our initiative focused on fighting nation-state-sponsored intellectual property theft. Um, So we're going to talk today a little bit about a series that he has been working on for a while now, Turns out that with his background, he is thinking a lot about Taiwan these days, as uh, <laughs> many who watch the moves of the China- Chinese Communist Party are. And he he has just published um, last week the third in a four-part series about how to deter an invasion of Taiwan, what the United States can do, and what are the kind of industries and 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 systems that we need to shore up. In order to make sure that we are resilient to uh, any kind of incursion by the CCP. Is that accurate, Evan?
1: Yep, that's pretty accurate.
0: Okay. All right, great. So um, we're talking specifically this week about manufacturing. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, just kind of like the bigger picture dynamics here. So, So in your piece, you write about credible deterrence when it comes to Taiwan. Can you explain for those who may or not be as versed in global conflict terminology, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so um, there, there are two parts to it, right? So deterrence is what people talk about all the time. And what we're really talking about these days is um, the US and really a large number of allies, which is a good thing in the world. There should always, I think, be large groups of countries that are working to keep the peace. Um, and that's definitely what's happening here. So we've seen all these, you know, major threats from the CCP about invasion, et cetera. Um, I know it's been on a lot of folks' minds, but um, obviously we have some ability, and particularly allied with Japan and South Korea, Taiwan itself, uh, Australia, the AUKUS agreement, all these other, you know, consortiums of nations, the EU, a lot of trusted partners together are all working to to keep that from happening. Um, and the way that it's traditionally talked about is is the kind of the basics, right? So do the combined nations in question have policies and militaries capable of deterring the CCP from launching some sort of full-scale, straight-on invasion? Um, but I think that there's a lot more to it, and so that's kind of where the credible comes in. Um, the ability and potentially things have been kind of changing in the right direction, I would, I would note, by the way, um, but there have been some advances on the Chinese side when it comes to their actual military power, their hard military power. And so that's part of what has everyone concerned, right? There's been advances in missile technology, et cetera, that we've seen uh, that make people wonder a little bit, uh, a little bit more each year sometimes uh, if if the CCP is developing the capabilities that they are in order to uh, launch a, a actual kinetic invasion of Taiwan. Um, but in general, there's kind of more to the story. And so that's part of what the series has been about. And And the term credible implies all of the things that you might think it would. So in order to deter the CCP from launching an invasion of Taiwan, we do need those things that have been talked about for years that are kind of the traditional military understanding. But as ties very well into Invent IP's work, you also need the ability to wage a war over time. You need secure supply chains in a number of different industries. Um, and, And more than any of these things, you need the CCP to be convinced that you have them, right? So you need to A, have them, and B, have them believe that you have them, or have the ability to get them. And that's part of where the credibility of your deterrence comes in, because we have to imagine that with all the threats being made from Xi Jinping's government, it is it is indeed possible uh, that they are thinking about invading Taiwan. And if they are, and if we are to deter them, then they must believe that whatever happens next would not be worth it, right? And so um, not only are you know the size of our military is relevant, but um, also equally, I would say relevant is our ability to both on in the information sphere, right in our in our ideologies and our nation's willingness to defend a partner, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, and in the economic sphere. So I think the war in Ukraine has been a very good example of this. Um, there is a lot more going on in any conflict, and really always has been, but but more than ever today uh, than just tanks and fuel and bullets, those are very important and obviously critical on the front line, but there's much more to any particularly international conflict that has to do with your economic ability to sustain what you're doing, um, whether you're either side in a conflict, any any set of nations, your ability to support each other, to feed your populations, et cetera. So um, that's really what we've been focusing on is kind of the overarching uh, uh, various aspects of modern warfare and what we think actually would deter. The CCP from doing something rash, uh, and and all the different ways in which that comes down to more than just ammunition and basic goods, right?
0: So, <clears throat> when you th- look at manufacturing in general, how does that fit into like what is your operating belief about the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to manufacturing as a d- deterrent? Is it that if the United States is able to continue to produce X? Y, Z, like, or the allies are able, you know, what is, what is the underlying thesis here about how that would deter an invasion?
1: Yeah. So this applies very well to Invent IP's work over the years. Um, One of the reasons I'm saying that is that two of the most important industries uh, when it comes to the global economy, but also when it comes to fighting a war would be steel and aluminum production. And that's an area that's been really obviously part of a longer story. And so the reason that Invent IP was even focused on that was, of course, being IP theft focused. We were watching concerted campaigns from the CCP to steal the ability to produce those metals. But, to steal the steel. Yeah, to steal the steel, to steal the processes of the IP related to the production of steel. Um, but then we also watched kind of the broader economic warfare take place over really about the last 15 years wherein they stole the steel, therefore, they didn't have to spend the money on the R&D, right? They stole the, the um, IP from companies around the world for how to do that and how to do it efficiently and how to do it you know, well 2 X quality. Um, there are still quality issues, but we're not going to get into the deep details um, because the real point is they then used that to create state-sponsored firms or to to bolster pre-existing state-sponsored firms that took over the entire global market for those things. And they—that's—and th- that story is over. They really did take over the global market. And today we're in a place, and, and I wrote more, much more about this in my piece, but we're in a place where the U.S. has drastically reduced its steel output. So have many of our allies. We still have some sizably productive allies when it comes to steel and aluminum, but it doesn't even compare to what the Chinese produce. And so um, part of that story is that that is exactly what you would want to do if you A, wanted money and wanted to be in control of the global economy, but B, also wanted to undermine the ability of your adversaries to make war. And so one of the things so, that we, go ahead.
0: So, so my question there is, um, if, if you're looking at the two countries side by side, China and the United States, mm-hmm. historically the US was a top steel producer, correct?
1: Yeah, for, for so, many, many years throughout the last century, we were we were massively, um, really in a lot of manufacturing, not just steel, but yes, right, we were right, a top right. producer.
0: And so what would we need to do to get back to that place?
1: Yeah, and I cover like, more it, of this, but- Do we
0: have, and I guess, sorry, just before you answer that, is it, a, is it a supply, like are we dealing with supply issues that would keep us from renewing our steel manufacturing? Or is it a capacity thing? Like we just need to to expand our production and manufacturing facilities.
1: It's, um, it's beyond that, actually. So one of the ways that this worked on China's behalf, obviously they had cheap labor. And to some degree, there will always be issues with that. And the global economy, you know, any country that can undercut on cost can essentially remove that industry from another country. Because if they can produce right. at the same quality for lower cost, they will win out.
0: Globalization. Um, yeah.
1: But there's more to the story here. Um, dumping has occurred at, at, you know, great levels across the planet. Um, it's the same thing has been affecting the EU, by the way. So this is not just an American story. This is a manufacturing of, of specific and important things outside of China story. Um, and so what, what we're really facing is an inability to compete on price, not just because of things like low wages, but because of a concerted government effort to oversubsidize an industry which also leads right. to a concerted government government effort to dump those products on the global market to take out the competition, right? And so, so it's get, not I a fair that, competitive but, environment. But what's,
0: it's not a fair competitive environment. Understand that. Where are we on the supply? Like, could we build that stuff back up? Yes, like we
1: so so none of these things, and, and in fact, many of our allies also have uh, the know-how, right? And we have the know-how. Um, neither steel nor aluminum are hard to get uh, raw inputs to production for. These aren't you know scarce iron and... Uh, Bauxite are not scarce resources, they're easy to find in a lot of places. Um, Canada is a great aluminum producer still, although it's also been slipping in its global share. Um, So here's the real answer. One of our key advantages here, and one of the things that I believe we can do to reach a, a higher level of credible deterrence, is to essentially just say no, because it's really about trade more than it's about anything else. So we've raised tariffs, the EU's raised tariffs, we should raise tariffs higher one, Mm -hmm. on Chinese goods that we know are being illegally dumped into our markets. Um, At some point, that is up to the trade department, etc. I wouldn't want to even get ahead of them. But I think when you look at the global economy and you look at the implications of losing these industries amongst your allied nations, it's kind of a no-brainer that you should not necessarily let an aggressive entity that is declaring itself to be adversarial to you just remove your industry in the name of free trade that they have never respected with your countries, right? So we actually have the key advantage of having a consortium of nations that can respectfully trade with each other that does not include China, but does include most of the global economy. And those countries really should just be ring fencing the supply chains that they have for really critical goods away from the aggressive adversary so that they would have continuity of supply if there were to be a negative contingency in Taiwan Strait, for instance.
0: Right. So if there, what you're saying, I think, is that there is enough demand between the United States and its allies to support a resurgence of the domestic or relatively domestic near-shored uh steel and aluminum industries
1: but only if we have the political will to buy from each other and not from china right, right. so that is the underlying issue and i the, the, and, they're not the only two industries that i covered in this thing, piece, honestly
0: but... honestly i i understand what you're saying because the political will thing honestly never works right like it's the cheapest version. So the only way to do that is to create price fencing that allows for the US steel and aluminum or regional steel and aluminum to be cheaper or at cost parity.
1: Yeah, if you wanted to compete on cost alone, you would just see a continuation of the dynamic we've seen for the last 20 years, which is that a country that's declaring itself to be adversarial to you and all the other countries in your economy and your global economy is just taking the industries right out of your countries. And they don't wind up anywhere else. They wind up in the place with the most subsidies and the most targeted action when it comes to promoting their own domestic industry, right? So um, at some point, you cannot solve this problem if you don't agree as a community of nations to stop buying the cheap stuff from the person who's cr- trying to take away your industri- industrial capacity by selling it to you cheaply. There is kind of a, a hard stop there
0: um are there when you think about taiwan in general um and the inv- potential invasion of taiwan <clears throat> there's another scenario that i think is likely which is as an information warfare person which is rather than a physical invasion uh they just Basically, manipulate, use information warfare to change hearts and minds enough in Taiwan that their preferred candidate, who they've been courting for the last, you know, several years.
1: There's always someone, yeah.
0: Is elected and then therefore decides to rejoin. uh, Yeah, I
1: don't worry about that particularly with Taiwan. And that's actually, I think, where some of the concern about something more kinetic comes from. Um, so far, the PRC has been trying to do that and it's actually been going hard the other direction. So the the you know polling when it comes to whether people want to join mainland China, particularly I think after the uh, takeover of Hong Kong, I, I imagine there were a lot more people in Taiwan uh, that would have considered that a possibility before they saw what was done to Hong Kong. And no one had to really ask too many questions later about what one country two systems was going to look like, which is the Chinese governments, the mainland right. governments, you know, one-liner about what what the bright future of Hong Kong looked like. Well, turns out that was all just made up, right? So um, they, they very much, I think, in Taiwan have moved past the idea that rejoining would be of use to them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think that's not my opinion. That plays out in the polls. Um, and those polls have been getting farther in that direction, right? So opinion polling over the past 10 years in Taiwan is moving farther away each year. From um, any large percentage of the population having any interest in that, so it would take one hell of an information warfare campaign to convince them that they had been, you know, wrong about that. That's a big charm or one, campaign.
0: Or I mean, it's like here's here's the problem I have with that with that opinion though. It doesn't take that much, right? Like we've seen, it could take a hacked election, right? I mean, you, there are lots of so that's like, a different, different question cyber incursions that could be used to simulate or manipulate election outcomes in a way that makes it look like it's a natural transition of power, but it's actually not. And so if I was China, I would probably be more likely to do that because it saves face. It makes it seem like Taiwan wants to to rejoin
1: Yes, I think any sort of political coup or um, economic embargo is probably currently more likely than a full-scale kinetic invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things would probably be paired in any number of different kind of you know myriad ways. So I think that there are probably a lot of moving pieces when it comes to the way that the CCP thinks about it. Um, and if one thing doesn't work, then you move to the next thing. So these are right. all problems that need solutions, right? um so not only does taiwan need to harden its you know political system from interference um but it needs to harden its its island from invasion and it also needs to harden its economy from disruption um, these are all serious issues so i agree in in theory at least that those things are highly relevant
0: and in that case what impact does manu- like does our manufacturing capability have is there any Deterrent in that situation to additional U.S. manufacturing
1: to a situation in which Taiwan is um, has such political let's not coup. say. There
0: is no physical invasion. There's some kind of you're describing it as a coup. I would say like it's equally likely or more likely that it would be some kind of incurs, cyber incursion into the voting mm-hmm. system or the electoral system combined with mass information misinformation. Um,
1: In that case, the only way in which manufacturing would be specifically relevant is what is manufactured in Taiwan, which we've covered at great length in uh, SNS and and in some other (laughs) podcasts that you and I have done, which is chips, right? And so in that case, it would be an adept way to try to get control of the island and its economy and chips. And uh, those chips are so important to the global economy that the rest of the world can't afford to let them fall directly into a totalitarian dictator's hands. So.
0: So more chips, more <laughs> chips, more steel. and, <laughs> and more and Yes. And, and on, our,
1: on that level, um, there has been a lot of effort and a lot of good effort to move um, some of TSM. It's not to remove TSMC's market share. It's, no, to, move, it's, to,
0: relocate it's to partner rabbit,
1: with them, they're, right? I mean, yeah, they're, they're an they're allied country's company. Us. And, and so what we, what we ought to do and are doing and ought to do more of is give them whatever they really ask for, because they're the experts in making those chips. And that's, uh, you know, a rightfully held top pole position. Um, but I think folks at TSMC are, are very much aware of that. They're trying to open new manufacturing uh, in Arizona right now as quickly. Um, <laughs> as quickly as possible. And we are the U.S. government. And I believe, you know, really believe that um, there should be multiple versions of that kind of project. So that's mm-hmm. up to the the national governments and TSMC. But um, if, if that company wants to diversify, even just for basic reasons, right? I mean, even just for reasons that could relate to uh, climate or natural disaster as much as anything else, having the entire global economy's supply of top chips come from one, one little island is probably not the best. Um, and it may not even be in the, the best interests of the company itself that, that makes them, right? So um, I think global diversity in uh, manufacturing location is highly relevant there and and smart and there's no reason that TSMC shouldn't make a killing doing it right yes
0: well Evan thank you if if people want to read the rest of your reports you've covered manufacturing what 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 have been the other topics
1: raw resources was one of our earlier ones um, and then kind of we've we've talked about a lot of different things so if you are curious about this and if you want to know what we've been Looking at and which which industries we think are the most uh, important to diversify sources for, um, they are all in the uh, archives of SNS. So if you sign up as a premium member, you'll be able to read. All of them. All of them. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks so much for this conversation. And I'll see you back here again soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you.